0: Okay, the reading is from 1 John, verse 1, and that's found on page 862 in your Red Pew Bibles. And we're going to read down to chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us
1: pray, and then we'll try to make some headway with 1 John. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we share together uh, with one another. We thank you for the unity that we enjoy with each other as uh, we share Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We thank you for the Bible, and uh, we pray that you'd help us to understand something this morning, and be challenged to live for your glory uh, we pray for these things in jesus name amen well as i grew up as a young man i was often uh troubled by the idea of where i stood with god my assurance of salvation i'd always uh, believed in god but it was always a bit more of a, a vague belief i didn't have uh I guess, uh, a strong theology, if I could put it that way. And I wasn't sure that everything was okay between me and God. Uh, For those of you who know me, uh, this might come as a bit of a surprise to you, but actually I was far from perfect. Uh, And I was one, this might also surprise you, I was one to test the boundaries at different times. And at times I found myself on the wrong side of the boundaries and on occasion on the wrong side of my dad's hand as well. Um, As I thought about life with God, I always had an uncertain feeling. It was a bit uneasy for me. It made me anxious as I thought about my future with God. I wasn't sure where I'd go when I died. And I was wondering whether... Instead of my eternally, eternal destiny being uh, with God forever, uh, I'd be in another place that the Bible speaks about, a place called hell. That name, the word hell, comes from uh, a place outside the city of Jerusalem in the Valley of Hinnom, where all the filth and the dead animals were taken, cast out, and burned And that kind of destiny uh, didn't appeal to me, it didn't thrill me, it frightened me. And I thought, I'd like to know whether I am right with God or not. I wanted to be assured of my salvation. Well, God in his kindness um, took me and through a series of events, I found myself going to a youth group and we started to read the Bible. It was a good time and we came across this book, 1 John. And it's a letter that's written to uh, people like you and like me, people who are Christians who want to have an assurance of their faith, who want to be encouraged as Christians, that they're on the right track. And we see that even reflected even at the very end of the book. We see John talks about his purpose in writing. If you're following on there in the Bible, we're up to chapter 5, verse 13. And this is what John states. He says, I write these things, chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, that was a a comfort to me. And it challenged me to get to know Jesus better so that I could continue to enjoy that assurance of salvation that comes with believing in him. Now, today we start a new series in this letter of 1 John. But what kind of book is it? Well, John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes for us a special kind of letter. It doesn't exactly bear his name at the start, but the early church attributed it to John and they've included it in the canon of scripture as something that's authority. It's not addressed to one specific church you might have noticed. It seems that John has probably in mind several churches because this letter contains a number of warnings that were probably relevant for a, a group of churches that were dealing with particular issues. One of the issues was that uh, some people had seceded from the church. They'd actually gone out from the church. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 19, if you're following along. It says, in 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And those who left the church were were problem people. They denied certain important truths about Jesus, certain essential truths. Uh, We can see some of that in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. We read, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the spirit of God every spirit that acknowledges that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god but every spirit that doesn't acknowledge jesus is not from god this is the spirit of the antichrist which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world and so they were denying aspects or certain important things about jesus Furthermore, they also behaved in a way that was out of step with the will of God, and that marked them out as people who were uh, rebellious. And furthermore, they were people who seemed to be ready to be like a virus, infiltrating an organism. They were looking to be missionaries perhaps towards some of the other churches uh, and bring their dodgy ideas to bear on other churches as well. They wanted to unsettle the Christians. And so John's trying to counter some of what they want to be doing uh, by strengthening and building the Christians up. And so this letter appears to be uh, ready to be read in several churches, not just one. That the believers might be assured of what, what they've started with is actually the right thing and to continue in that. Well, if you've read one john in recent times uh, you'll know that it's written in quite a different way to some of the other letters in the bible or some of the other books in the bible the kind of flowing argument that we might get used to uh, from reading paul's letters is not quite what we get in one john one of the features of this book and the the rhetoric if you like or the style that it's written is that themes are raised and then they're amplified they're revisited and it's kind of like a spiralling of those themes that keep cropping up throughout the book. Uh, so he'll, he'll take a theme and just as you could hear a, a bit of music when Peter plays the guitar down the front and pulls the string, you could hear it, but when we plug him into the amplifier, we can all enjoy that that great music t- together. That's the idea that something gets amplified and that's what happens in this book. A theme's raised, but then John seems to compound it and reinforce it. It's not written in quite the same way that uh, students are taught to write essays at school or university. Uh, If you read it at one sitting, you'll you'll understand exactly what I mean there. Uh, But certainly there are deep truths which are built on and reinforced as a way to encourage and assure God's people. Well, what was the context in which this book was written? Well, to start with, Unfortunately, there were people who seemed to want to mix together uh, some of what the the Bible taught, their Christianity, with certain philosophical ideas, some weird ideas. The heretical beliefs, the weird beliefs aren't explained outright in this book. We don't get everything about them. In fact, uh, people talk about you need to have some uh, mirror reading where you you take sort of just one side of the story uh, and it's like holding up a mirror and trying to read something and and, and compare it with what what was actually happening in history we don't have a lot of a record but we can capture something of the error of the ways of the heretics and the issues that that are in hand from this letter one of the issues was bound up with their worldview about matter and the body they thought of physical matter as being problematic. They thought of uh, bodies as perhaps being evil or substandard. They didn't like this idea of material things. And consequently, some people seem to have a problem with Jesus coming into the world in a physical body, that he was the God-man in the flesh. And so the seeds of... uh, of this heresy we start to read about in one john seemed to gain currency in the first century and become formed as a i guess a heresy known as gnosticism where people would say you need to have a particular kind of knowledge to get hold of a bit of knowledge so that you your soul can escape that evil body of yours that's that the soul's trapped in well john doesn't want his christian brothers and sisters to be led astray and god doesn't want us to be led astray either he wants us to assure us that we're in the truth and that we're building on the right foundation of the gospel of jesus christ which has been proclaimed from the beginning and so at the start of this letter john actually brings to mind his authority to speak because he's one who's been an eyewitness And so we start to grapple with John's faithful testimony concerning Jesus, the word of life. Let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 4, if you're reading along. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Well, from the very start of the book, We can hear echoes from John's Gospel. Do you remember how John's Gospel starts? In the beginning was the Word. Well, one John starts slightly different from that. We read here about that which was from the beginning. And that which was from the beginning is still a reference to Jesus. It's a reference to the Word of life, of Jesus who came into the world and was in the world the focus are uh, in one john here is not so much on the idea that jesus was with the father from all eternity although he does come to that a little later the emphasis and the the thrust here in one john at the b- very beginning is that the word of life jesus has been encountered john has seen him he's been heard and he's been touched And so John's implying that he himself and the other apostles have got this uh, experience of Jesus that's an an eyewitness account. It's a first-hand experience of seeing Jesus and being with him. In verse 2, we read, The life appeared, and we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to you to us now when he's saying we proclaim to you the eternal life he's not talking about the eternal life that we're looking forward to because we've got our trust in jesus he's saying uh, we proclaim to you the eternal life he is jesus was with god forever he was with the father and he's now appeared to us he's saying we're talking about not just the message of jesus the apostles are talking about the reality of jesus because it's in the face of some people who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Verse 3, he amplifies this again. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. And this message centres on Jesus. And we're now given a reason why he's proclaiming it. Verse 3 says, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This word fellowship is an interesting one. It's a a word we often associate with Christians getting together and having a a nice cup of tea or a percolated coffee after the service and enjoying some scones or a bit of cake or some uh, light wafer biscuits. That idea of Christians getting together and enjoying some friendship. And fellowship does include that, but the word koinonia in the Greek, is actually loaded with a bit more meaning. It's used in situations where people actually buy into a project together. They become partners in an enterprise and they stand to, I guess, do well together with it or even lose from it. they are actually uh, got a fair bit of involvement or investment in each other in a particular project. It's not always used that way. In some some usages, it, it does refer to uh, personal fellowship. Uh, and so a real, a depth of fellowship that people share together. Not like the old train station experience of fellowship, where you don't know anybody, and you can't talk to anybody, and there is no depth. Like those people at the toll booth you, you used to put your money through. You can't, you can't have a deep relationship with those kinds of people. You only get a hello, and that's it. Well, he's not talking about that kind of thing. He's saying uh, there is a fellowship here that's a, it's a deep thing. And he's saying that if the Christians remain receiving the apostolic witness, uh, then they stand in fellowship with the apostles, the church, and they stand in fellowship with God. But if they secede, if they walk out along with those who've already gone out, well, those people don't have fellowship with God. They've partnered with the wrong kind of people if they go out and they're not partnering with the church or with God anymore. We see another reason why he writes. He says in verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. He wants to see the Christians remaining faithful to God and persevering, not led astray. Well, in application, to start with, from the very start of the letter, we're seeing that these are trustworthy foundations. The apostle John was an eyewitness along with the other apostles. They're proclaiming not simply a message about Jesus and his salvation, they're proclaiming the reality of Jesus who was there. And readers like us from the 21st century can take comfort in this. When people want to heap scorn on Christians, saying, yes, I believe, um, we're like those who believe in the Easter bunny, is what they want to say. They want to ridicule us and wind us up. We can say, no, our faith is actually based on eyewitness accounts. Apostles were there. They ate with Jesus. They watched him cry. They watched him sleep. They were there. They saw it. And these reliable men have written these things down so that our faith isn't a leap in the dark. It's rested on good foundations. Well, if we are those who are Christians and enjoy uh, life with God through trusting in Jesus, we've got to be different to the people that went out from the church. And the challenge for us is to be those who walk in the light. I'll pick it up again on verse 5 if you're reading along. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The message that God is light is a message about the character of God. From the context, we can see that it's saying God is good and the amplifi Amplification comment that in him there is no darkness at all reminds that God is not evil. Those who went out from the church claimed they had fellowship with God, but John makes it clear that by their actions, they showed that they were walking in darkness. They weren't living godly lives. And so because they walked in darkness, they were wicked. They showed where they really stood in relation to God. They were out of fellowship with God. He's concerned that his readers, us included, on the other hand, are people who actually walk in the light. Uh, It's not explained precisely here what that will mean, but we know from John's Gospel, uh, in chapter 3, verse 21, these things, those who do what is true come into the light, so that it may be seen clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Those who've been changed by God, uh, know that it's been God's work in their life to turn them around. And they're committed in their heart of hearts to wanting to live a godly life. The consequences of walking in the light are several fold. Firstly, it's genuine Christian fellowship. If people actually uh, want to continue in the light, living God's way, they will enjoy genuine Christian fellowship. And secondly, they will stand as people who have been purified. From the blood of jesus and so this passage is a good challenge for us at this point in the sermon it's actually a good thing for us to give some consideration to our lives to think carefully about whether we're walking in the light at the moment or are we kidding ourselves would be would we be um, receiving that harsh criticism of those who know us as being ones who are called hypocrites. Are you and I content to be people who uh, live in sin or indulge in sin? Are we the ones who maybe say we walk in the light, but actually prefer to enjoy walking in the darkness? Well, it's good for us to think about these things for a time, isn't it? It's good to ask ourselves whether we're fed income about uh growing in holiness, whether that's even an issue on our lives, where we're whether we're actually keen to grow in godliness. God's word encourages us to live a different kind of life, to struggle against sin and to confess it. It's not a recipe or a means to try to earn our salvation by good works. We're not interested in that kind of legalism. Verse 7 tells us that we're Uh, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We're not interested in legalism, but we are God's family. In so much as we trust in Jesus, we become, as John later says, the children of God. And so we should be people who ask God to help us to take him seriously, to take walking in the light seriously. And a good application at this point would be to think about somebody that you can talk to about your journey, somebody that you can talk to about how you're travelling with your holiness, with your sin. There's somebody that I talk to uh, from time to time about how I'm going, and it provides a degree of accountability for me to shape up, especially having a TV in my bedroom. That's a bit of a tricky spot to have a TV. It helps me to be honest and say, yeah, I've got to make sure I don't watch the things that I shouldn't be seeing after a certain time at night or whatever. The soccer's pretty safe, though. <laughs> but let me encourage you, find somebody that you could talk to about being accountable to. If you're serious about wanting to grow in holiness, that's a, it's not a bad application of this passage. If we're going to walk in the light, we might as well wrestle with someone about areas that we can change in and grow in. Well, John reminds us in the next section about the reality of our sin and His, the Lord's remedy for it. In verse 8, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, We make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Those who went out from the church, who seceded, they had another claim, and that was that they were without sin. But John reminds us that this is a fantasy land. It's a self-deception, and that the way to deal with sin is not to deny it, but to face it and confess it and to forsake it, to turn from it. We can't play it down. Or excuse it he reminds us that if we confess our sins to god we can and we do enjoy god's forgiveness these people might have had the idea that they could be uh, achieve some sinless perfectionism and it's not true there's a good story from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a famous Christian in the past, who went to a conference with some people who were excited about the holiness movement. They thought they might even become get to a stage where they could be without sin. And one particular character there was talking about his own holiness and boasting about how he could even get to that point or profess that he was. And at the end of the time at the conference in the meal room, Spurgeon took a jug of milk, apparently, and he upended it on this particular guy. And this man screamed at Spurgeon, You idiot! Why would you do this to me? To which Spurgeon replied, Oh, I was simply testing your theology, good sir. (laughs) And so what we're being reminded of, once again, is this guy's losing self-control because he's got a sinful nature. And it's a fantasy land to think, that we're going to be without sin. God calls us to be people who are good at confessing our sin, but not to rationalise it, excuse it, or deny it. Well, John continues by drawing our attention to the work of Christ, who is the means of our standing before God. In 2 verse 1 he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John acknowledges that uh, our natures are not perfect, that we will sin. Although it's not God's will that we do. And it's another reason why he writes this letter. He's writing that people would actually work at godliness and put to death sin. He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But since we will, it's important to know that God has dealt with our sin in Christ. And it's good to be clear about that. And so Jesus is pictured for us in a kind of legal position. He's pictured as an advocate for us in a courtroom situation. It's not the kind of courtroom situation that we're used to today where you pay somebody to do the job for you. Hopefully you pay a lot of money to get the best representation. He's talking about somebody who's in a court situation as a friend, someone who's a patron. And he speaks up in favour of the accused. Well, when we're accused in the presence of God because we sin, Jesus is our advocate. But he's more than that. We're told that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the propitiation. It's not a word that we use a lot, is it? When someone's propitious towards us, it means they're favourable towards us. And Jesus is the one who appeases God's wrath against our sin. He's the one who washes away our sin. He's the one who makes God propitious towards us. The word in Greek is, is to do with halasmos. Um, it's, it's got actually roots with that word, you know, when someone says something's hilarious and they think it's funny. That it's kind of, when when things are funny, people are kind of feeling good and, well, it's kind of lost that sort of funny root and it's, it's sticking with the idea of feeling good towards someone anyway. The joke is about when somebody crashes into your car and they to kind of uh, make things right, they hold out a halasmos for you. And actually, in fact, they might be holding out a checkbook and that's a whole lot better, isn't it? Because they know that they can pay for the damage and that's going to make you favourable towards them. It does the trick. Well, Jesus pays for our sin. He makes God favourable towards us. And it's a mysterious thing too, isn't it? That God takes upon the sin of the world in the person of his son jesus and deals with our sin well this is a wonderful thing for those who receive it and we're told that jesus's death is um would be effective for everybody if they believe it in the whole world we're told he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world Well, at the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned that I had anxieties at a certain stage in life about my assurance of being right with God. But not a bad question to think about is your situation. Where do you stand? Nobody lives forever, and you're going to meet God one day. And when you stand before God, are you going to be sure that all is well? What would you say if God said, why should I let you Into heaven? What sort of answer could you give? Well, today's passage should give us some comfort. It reminds us that Jesus is our advocate, He's there as our friend, He's the one who uh, speaks for us on our behalf, He's the one who's our atoning sacrifice. And John's written these things down for us that we who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that we've got eternal life. So may God help us to be sure about where we stand and to be people who continue relying on Jesus, who is our propitiation, and enjoy having that great assurance that we're right with God through the work of Christ on our behalf. Let us continue to be uh, faithful to God this week. Let us be people who continue to work at walking in the light because we're We're part of God's family. Let us continue to be people who hold on to what Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. And Lord God, we do thank you for this letter of 1 John, that John was an eyewitness of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he could pass down to us uh, the truth because he knew the message of salvation that Jesus brought and he knew Jesus who brought it. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can be challenged to continue as your people to walk in the light and we pray this week you would help us to take seriously the challenge to grow in our holiness and so lord we pray that uh, we might be in degrees accountable to somebody to take seriously this challenge to walk in the light lord we do thank you that um, when we do sin though we we do have jesus as as our advocate and the one who is our atoning sacrifice we thank you that we can be sure that we're right with you that we can know that we're right with you through what he's done for us Uh, we thank you for his death and resurrection on our behalf and we pray that you'd help us to continue strong and firm uh, with our trust in jesus our lord and savior and we pray for this in his name amen